host of this show, Max Naist, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to Fearless Happiness. 19.7 million American adults have battled a substance use disorder. 38% of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder. But no matter what the struggle, no matter the challenge, you can overcome anything and become successful. Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military-related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naist. Welcome to another episode of the Fearless Happiness Podcast. Danny, thank you for uh, joining me here on the Fearless Happiness Podcast. What an honor for me. This guy, everybody, has been the guy behind the scenes. He's a mentor of mine. He doesn't even know it, but I I wanted to bring Danny on and have him on the podcast because he's got so much to share. The guy is just, I'll I'll let you tell the people what your title is and stuff, but let the audience know, Danny, like who you are and what you do. Okay, that's cool. And I'll, I'll, keep it, I'll keep it short. So my name is Danny Galvez. I live in Houston, Texas, and um, I am the Chief Happiness Officer at Break Free Academy. So that was the only title we could come up with, with the culmination of all the, the things that I know how to do. So, you know, I don't want to say I'm a generalist, but I know how to handle pretty much a little bit of everything. So from hiring and firing to, you know, <laughs> running events and things like that, and onboarding clients, the day-to-day of, you know, working with clients. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing. I'm an audiobook narrator, voiceover artist, and I'm also I edit audiobooks and podcasts and things like that. So I function in multi, multi, multiple capacities. So I'm an MC, a DJ. Um, so that's what I do. That's how I that's how I make my bread. So so it gives me a like nice things like rubber chickens. <laughs> Making enough to afford rubber chickens and uh, and uh, let me see, let's see what we got here. Well, he got me in and puppets. So uh, I make enough to make rubber chickens and puppets. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, Max, I appreciate you having me on. And, and again, like, thank you again. I know we had some scheduling conflicts and all kinds of things happen, but like, thank you again for having me on the podcast. It's truly an honor as well. So yeah, no problem, bro. I always believe everything happens when it's supposed to happen. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Uh, like apex happening for me, like it happened when it was supposed to happen. And, uh, I made sure that I was going to be a part of it and, you know, I, I don't plan on going anywhere. Um, but Danny knows, I mean, I don't know if you read my book yet. I named it fearless happiness. And the whole premise of this podcast is to show where people like in their journeys in life, where they've come from their struggles and how they overcame their struggles and became successful. And what I do is like to ask the guests to share that part of your life you know i don't care how deep you go it's up to you but share with the with the audience like some of the stuff you've been through and how you've overcome those challenges and where you're at today or to get to where you're at today you know it's funny you were asking asking that question too because you know I, I think about that often and i think a lot of what happens in our lives is we get stuck 
because we keep replaying what's been recorded in our minds and they're attached mm-hmm. to emotions. Yep. And, uh, I was thinking about my children one day and one of the reasons why I moved to Houston was to be closer to them. And, um, you know, they're my youngest, they're 12 and 14 years old, but I was thinking about the type of life that they've had to this point. And even my eldest too, he's 21. And they actually had better lives than I did from what I understand. And I'm not going to say I came from a bad childhood. I came from a different childhood and it was the thing that made me who I am. But I remember, um, you know, divorce is always a big thing for, for people. And, uh, yeah. no, I, I came from, a, yeah, it's just like my parents got divorced when I was five years old and they took me to a place at the time it was Astro world here in Houston and it's now six flags, but they took me there. We went on this rickety white roller coaster. And when we got off of it, I remember my father leaning over. My mother was standing there and he goes, hey, I just want to let you know, like me and your mom are getting divorced. And I was like, oh, I was like, "Okay." Like, I didn't understand what that meant. But um, long story short, my parents get divorced. My father wins custody of me and my brother. My brother was four, four years younger than me, still is. Um, And we ended up like staying with grandparents for a year. And uh, that's you know, we, it was, it was like the beginning of abandonment. Right. And uh, so much, you know, it's, so I I reflect back on that time and I look at it and I go, you know, as a father, I did a good job so far. Right. I've, I've accomplished the goal of like, you know, once you process all of that, the sadness, the abandonment and everything that happens when your parents leave you one little secret for you, your children will never forget you. They do think about you, even if you never hear from them. So if you're listening to this podcast or you're watching this, um, just know that in all of my years of being a father, like I know because I was that kid that never stopped thinking about his mom. I probably saw my mom maybe 10 times while I was growing up and uh, until I was about 21. But a lot of that bled into other things, you know, um, I was a relatively good kid. I made good grades. I played football, soccer, baseball. I was active in theater and was well-liked. We had five kids in my family total. We ended up coming from a blended family. And uh, my father was in the Marine Corps. So part of our time, we lived in Hawaii, California, and then we lived in North Carolina for, for the majority of it. So, But it was, it was good. Our, our childhood, like we had what we needed. We learned how to sacrifice. And, uh, yeah. I'd say boundaries were the biggest thing that that had to be established. We didn't have a lot of boundaries in my household. Right. I can relate to that totally because my parents divorced at five, you know, when I was five, but it's kind of opposite. I didn't see my dad. I saw maybe once or twice. And then the last time I saw him was at 11 years old. Right. Uh, And the last thing he promised me was, my birthday is in March, right? I just celebrated my birthday. He left in February and said, I'll be back for your birthday. I promise. Right. So you talk about abandonment issues. I I love how you brought that up because that's, it brings up these memories that you talk about because the last thing he promised was I'll be back for your birthday. And then March came and went April came. And then I got the word that he died of a massive heart attack, right? At 55 years old. But as a little kid, right? See, I didn't come from a bad background either. I, from a large family, and my mom worked hard to give me and my little brother, who were 
she had later in life, right? My five older siblings were already out of the house. So it was just my little, my mom, my little, and my little brother and I, and, uh, so it's not like, you know, when I got into my addiction, it wasn't like, oh, I came from this abusive family, you know, I was kicked to the curb and blah, blah, blah. No, I actually had a loving family, a huge family. We spent a lot of time with each other. It's just, I had these issues with abandonment and things, other things. And, and you know what I mean? And it's all in perspective, though. I look at it now, you know, how we go, like, I could have totally used that and kept running with it, but I chose to stop. And like you said, you know, it, my mom was older. So there was, I mean, we had respect for my mother because you don't want to talk back because you'll get like a pan upside your head. Right. But other boundaries there, like, as long as we passed school, you know what I mean? I wasn't the greatest in high school. As long as I came home at a decent time, I, I got to do whatever I wanted. You know what I mean? But I, I love how, I didn't know that. So it's good to hear that we have some things that I can really, you have some things I can relate to because it's funny how, how life turns out. We could either go South like some of us, like myself for a while, but you chose see, and I, you know, what's funny, Danny, that you say that. Cause I, when I became a father, I promise I'd never be like my dad. I became worse. And I say oh. that because I would be in the house next door, but because my addiction was more, you know, my drugs and alcohol were more important. I wouldn't, I, I didn't see my kids for like nine years and they could literally be in the same city as me, but the guilt and shame, but you know, that's for another episode. I can get into that, but like tell people, let the audience know like how you overcame some of those struggles like that. Cause see how there's some opposites there. Like I did go off the deep end and you said, Nope, I'm going to be the best dad that I can be and best person I can be. Yeah. And yeah, that's the thing. So not everything's pretty, you know, I've got three children, but you know um, you know, for, let's go back to abandonment. Cause a lot of that stems from like, you know, if you can't disconnect from that sadness of abandonment or being rejected um, that whole year that I spent between grandmothers, I spent time in Houston and then in Oklahoma city that year. My parents, like, they didn't call me on a regular basis. They didn't have smartphones at that time. Um, I didn't know when my mom, she'd pop in every now and again for, like, just a few hours to come visit. But then she would go away, and I remember crying and being upset. And I was living with cousins and neighbor kids and, and relatives. And um, we lived behind this cantina, this bar in Houston. My grandmother operated a bar in a Hispanic neighborhood because we're, you know, Hispanic. Galvez is my last name, and uh, we lived in a very Hispanic part of town and is a very Latino community. And um, it was pretty rough, you know, um, living, living behind the beer joint for that year, that year I got my first pet and lost him. He died. And uh, I was crushed because they ended up burning him in a burn barrel. So that like this kind of stuff is ripping my heart out. Um, while I was there that year too, I had been, I'd been molested by this kid, this, 15 year old, I was a friend of the family and I was five, mind you. So I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on. Right. Um, and thank God it only happened like one time. Cause like, like my family, like they put a stop to it once they figured it out. And then, um, but like that stuff, it doesn't go away. No. And, and so now you've got abandonment, you've got some sexual abuse and, you know, you've got over overtones, like you're trying to process this information while you're going through it. And as a kid, like I didn't have an outlet except to play and eat food. Right. 
So I wasn't a fat kid. I wasn't overweight, but I had this constant need for attention, for validation. And, and a lot of that, like going through high school and, and coming up, like I was always well-liked in school. Um, I carried a lot of rage with me. I was mad at my mother quite a bit because I didn't understand why I couldn't see her. And probably you probably felt that too with your father. Like, why are you leaving? Like, yeah, like where, where are you going, man? Like, why, why didn't you want to come pick me up? And, you know, even now with my kids, my younger ones, um, you know, it's like I live 25 minutes away from them, but I had to go through that. We can get to that later on because that comes on the back end of it. But um, like not seeing them, I used to, I went from seeing them every day to not seeing them. And, and that was a hard thing for me. I had to really temper myself to keep myself from imploding. So let's jump into my 20s. My 20s, like I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of my house. So sorry, Max. I didn't know if I could. No, curse go me. ahead. No, no. like my father was a a verbally abusive person, and being in the military and coming from a Hispanic background, they weren't rich, but they weren't poor. Um, they always had money, but he lived in a very rough neighborhood. Right. And and the person that he was, the things that happened to him as a young boy, shaped him into a monster. And, and I'll share that a little bit on the back end of the story. But what ended up happening was my father would spank us. Like we had this, I remember we had this paddle and uh, he, he got this bandsaw for Christmas and he made paddles and he drilled holes into them. Oh yeah. Yeah. The wood was probably about a good inch and a half, maybe two inches. And he would use that like, you know, at will, I think the last time I got an ass whooping was 17 years old and you know why it was like, I left my horn, I left my saxophone at school. I didn't bring it home. I was supposed to bring it home every weekend. Right. And uh, I'd never been so humiliated, control, humiliation, um, hovering, um, just crossing lines, the kind of thing. It's kind of like this. And I don't know if you've ever spanked your kids, but me, like I never spanked my kids because when I got spanked, I would get spanked. And then my father would expect me to give him a hug afterwards and he would tell me that he loved me or he'd say shit like you know what this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you mm-hmm. you know what this whole time i'm thinking i should just throw punch this guy that's the kind of fire and rage that i had as a young man and i'm angry because i miss my mother i'm angry because i don't get to see her that often i'm upset because i have the stepmom who's controlling and manipulative and this stuff is just right. like it was a weird time in my life it was a very weird time of my life. I had two brothers and two sisters, you know, and one thing, you know, in my family dynamic, like we kept secrets. We'd go to church every week. We were raised Catholic, dress up in suits and be at church. And hey, look at us. We're here. Um, but at home, it was a whole different story. There was verbal abuse. There was physical abuse. And um, it got to be one of those things that really I started enjoying living out in the world. I loved going to school. I loved being away from my home. The first chance that I could to work, I would work because I knew that if I had money, I'd be able to escape and leave there. Right. And I didn't want to stay there longer. So I get into my 20s. I started drinking. And uh, this whole time, I'm trying to think about like, do I go to college? I went to college for a couple of months and I dropped out after the first semester and I move home. My father had done 20 years in the military, moved up to Wisconsin where I was already living. And um, 
I basically set the groundwork for our family to roll into town. So when they came to town, everybody knew who they were. They welcomed them with open arms. But my father was a monster. And I know you guys have talked about narcissists quite a bit, right? So my father is, it was later deemed a narcissistic sociopath. And, and that probably goes a little bit deeper. It's probably going to be like a whole other episode. It, it belongs in a book, actually, because it goes levels deep. But, you know, I took that journey um, with somebody like that. That's who I was raised by. And um, it, was, it was a very confusing time for me. So when I got a taste of freedom, I left. I auditioned for a radio broadcasting school, and I won the audition for the year for that, the scholarship for that year. And that was my ticket to freedom. So at 21 years old, I became a radio DJ and I started working in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I did music research. I would call people and, hey, did you like the Kenny Chesney song? Okay, that's cool. Awesome. Between a one on a scale of one to five, what did you like best? And like, what was a, you know, what would you rate it? So I did that for two weeks and got my first on-air job and started writing commercials and producing them. And um, remember those eight tracks? <laughs> the eight tracks? So we, we used to call them carts in school, but that's what I learned to, in the reel, the reels. I used to, I learned how to edit commercials and audio on that. Oh, like and, the old fashioned way, as they would say to us. <laughs> yeah. I'd be over there like splitting it up. I think I was born in the wrong generation, not just because of my hair. I think I was just born at the wrong time. And, uh, but I would go in and I would, um, I would cut up the, I'd cut up the tape and, and that was it. I, I did that for a good solid year and kept staying in the radio off and on and, and uh, it's a pretty interesting journey, but that abandonment spawned a lot of serious issues for me. One of them was pro- promiscuity. Um, and then you add drinking. I would drink myself, almost killed myself a couple times drinking. Um, I'm talking about severe alcohol poisoning. They never took me to the hospital. I would just sleep it off. But I, it's only by the grace of God that I'm here. Um, and and that's... Uh, a lot of that stuff was tied to abandonment. I had to work a lot of that stuff out in my twenties. I became a father at 24 and I was happy. I was excited to become a father. I was working my ass off. I was working in radio and I was waiting tables and I always worked. I always had money coming in some way, shape or form. I was always trying to find a way to make more money. And just because I knew I couldn't count on my family to have four other children back at the house. I was just happy to be free out in the world, but a lot of relationships and things like that really, um, it caused issues because of the fact that I didn't deal with the abandonment sooner. Yeah, I know. I can relate to those stories. Totally. Absolutely. Um, it makes you think though, like, I mean, what I want to say is like, I know you realized it and you go, okay. Cause I went through the same thing. Like if, if I would have addressed that abandonment, maybe I wouldn't have gone through my addiction stage. You know what I mean? And it wouldn't maybe have been as, maybe I would have, I don't know. Cause I'm not God, you know, but maybe it wouldn't have been as bad, but like you, like I remember talking to a cousin one time, this is my rage, right? Like I almost, and he's telling me how cool my dad was and how he spent all this time was, and I was in my addiction. So he was lucky that I was actually nice that day. But I told him, I looked at him, I said, if you don't stop, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And he just looked at me like, whoa, like, what was that for? You know what I mean? And like, but I get that rage. You know what I mean? It, I had, it was like, I was, there's a saying that says I was taking the poison, hoping someone else would die. 
That's how mad I was. You know what I mean? The drinking, the drugging. And if I look back at it, it's like you said, it was like, cause I didn't address certain things or, and then I used to blame my mom because like, well, why didn't you get me help? You know what I mean? Like that was your decision to, I had to come to these real, they did the best they could with what they had. My mom did her best. My dad, I find out later wanted us to go overseas with them, but my mom was like, Nope, they're staying here in this country. They're not leaving. I don't want to be like a military family. They need roots. And maybe that was, you know, you find things out, but it's like crazy how as people, like how we handle those situations. Right. And that's the whole reason I wrote my book. If you think about it, it's not just to help people overcome addiction. It's any challenge in their life. So they don't have to go through that stuff, or at least they can say, well, you know, like if you get your book, you got to write a book, Danny, because you got some stories to tell. Like how did Danny get through that? Like that's because that's what we kind of do for each other, right? We help each other out. And what you do for work as chief happiness, you're definitely that guy that helps people step it up to the next level. Right. And so on and so forth. And, you know, for me, it's an honor to have you on my show because some of it, I didn't realize how much we had in common and it's cool to hear an outside perspective because you're having me over here going, man, he's kind of telling my story a little bit. Holy shit. He is telling my story and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, it's amazing. I mean, that's so cool. Chief happiness officer. Like who's got, (laughs) who's got that? I mean, that I would wear, you know, I know you wear that as a badge of honor, but I've got to meet Danny live and in person. And he's the same guy, like on a zoom as if you were sitting in front of him, he's just got this energy about him. So part of what I, I asked my guests, right. And, in, in, in doing this is, so you've given us a little background of yourself. So fearless, right. I named my book fearless happiness. And I've had conversations with many people and the answers are always great. They're all different, but the same in the end, if you think about it. So tell me like, how does fearless show up for you? Because like you said, you know, you, you've got children, being a father is one of the scariest things I've ever done. And then continue to be a father. It's scary, right? Because you got these kids that are looking like, what are you doing pops? (laughs) I get that all the time. Like what's going on. Um, And now they look for me to guidance, you know, instead of like, where is my dad? Now they know. So tell me like, what is, what does fearless look like for you? And how does that show up for you every day? So I'm going to share something with you that I haven't shared. I've shared with some people in my circle and my family, but I haven't shared this with you. And I'll tell you the moment that it happened and it required disconnecting because I was at the point where abandonment stopped being an issue. This is a very pivotal moment in my life. Um, But I was 13 years old and I was cutting the grass just outside North Carolina. It's hot. I'm sweaty. I'm out there getting it in. I've got my Walkman in. My father comes out and goes, Hey, he's like, come inside. I was like, where are we going? He goes, we're not going anywhere. Just like come inside. It's like, okay. He's like, get in the shower. I'm like, I don't need to take a shower. I got to finish cutting the grass. He goes, no, just get in the shower. So strip down naked, get in the shower. And he says, face the back wall. I was like, you know, what the fuck did I do? Right. What did I do? 
I thought I was in trouble because my father would do shit like that. It's a common trait with narcissists too. Yeah. Psychopaths. Like they will come for you and they will like, they'll come and try to sarge you. They call it sarging where they try to, you know, like everybody's talking about alpha males and stuff like that. But when somebody tries to come in and, and become a conductor in your life and things like that, they, they teach you that stuff in the military. So yeah. mind you it makes them even more dangerous. <laughs> so I'm facing the back wall inside the shower and he tells me, he's like, don't look back, but I can hear like the rustling of clothes. And it's just me and my father at home. It's the middle of the day. I hear him step into the tub. And I was like, is this about to happen? What I think is going to happen. My heart sank. And the only thing I could think is, if this motherfucker is going to rape me, I'm going to kill him. Mm. I will gut him. For whatever reason, Max, that day, that did not happen. My father got out of the shower. And he said, all right, you can put your clothes on. He came out and he said, don't share this with anyone. I'm sorry I did that. I love you. You're my son. From that point, I cut ties emotionally with my father. Because I knew at 13, you know, father's not supposed to do that. And any parent. Yeah. No, no, no parent should ever do that. And I carried that rage. And even now, like I talk about it, I have that rage because of that violation of trust, that disappointment. It was heartbreaking. My heart was broken, but I was enraged. When you get to the point in your mind where you think, man, I could gut this motherfucker. When you get to that place in your mind. Yeah. That's when you know who you are. You realize that level and depth of where you would go, even if you just think about that. Right. So I never said anything. I didn't say anything to my stepmom. I didn't tell any of my friends. I didn't tell my brothers. I didn't share it with anyone. That day, I made my point and mission to get the hell out of that house as soon as possible. But the thing is, I didn't want to leave my brothers and sisters behind. Because I knew there was not, there was something not right about him. Right. So we go through this and, you know, man, when something like that happens, I knew at that point, like if I ever became a father, number one, I would never put my kids in that position. Right. right. Um, that's just not in me. That's not who I am. I'm, I have no proclivities to that. And it's, it's sickness essentially is what it is. Right. And having gone through that experience at five too, and you know, like, like I didn't, I didn't, I was exposed sexually at a very early age and it even goes back before that with, you know, a neighbor down the street, a girl, but it was weird. It was a, like a weird thing for me to process. I knew it wasn't right. It's almost like God just like touched me on the head and, and let me know, Hey, you know what? This isn't normal. This isn't okay. You know, but that day, 
my fearlessness was born because I knew that I was living with a monster. And I had to do everything in my power to get the fuck out. I had to make a decision in that moment to be strong, to be tenacious, to be powerful. So I did. I worked out every day. And I was defiant, Max, still to this day. <laughs> they call me, they call me a cabezón, which means hard-headed in Spanish. But I'm like that. I'm like that. I'll tell you one thing, though. My children don't have to worry about monsters like that in their life. Right. So, so that right there, that, that kind of, that was the defining moment for me. I knew I was on my own. Well, I knew I, I was officially on my own. I appreciate it. That took a lot to share something like that. So like one, I'm, I, I want to say thank you for sharing that. I know that had to be hard, you know, I mean, and I mean then I'm like, I might've done some rotten things as a, as a father, like not seeing my kids, but like one thing, like you said, that's something that definitely I would never do to my kids or any child. You know what I mean? Like, you're right. That, 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 that just crosses all boundaries. And that thing, I'm grateful that nothing happened to you that day because we may not be having this conversation. No, yeah. I could be in jail. Um, well, I could be another statistic. I could have gone down the road like you did and, and just, you know, killed myself with drugs or taking myself to that place. Exactly. Right? And I damn near did it with, uh, with alcohol, you know, nice. it was like, I was, I was trying to kill myself. It was weird. It was yeah. Weird. <laughs> one thing my, one of my mentors, when I got sober said, you know, you were killing your, you know, you were committing suicide on the installment plan. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, every time you stuck a drug in your system or drink that alcohol, you're trying to commit suicide. You're just chicken to do it. I'm like, Oh, okay. I get it. Um, you know, so that's, I mean, um, the guests need to hear stuff like that. Like it's stuff like that just does not happen. How I don't want to say to, to girls or women, you know, this, it can happen to, to boys, to men and, you know, and you've bounced back in a huge way because you help so many people. I don't think you realize sometimes just by getting on a call and, and saying, hi, how much you help someone, Danny. Cause you're always there. I know if I have the stupidest question, you know, you're still a shoot. What is it? And okay. I got this going on, you know, but um, thank God I don't give you too many stupid questions, but, but no. not an extreme, you know, situation, which, you know, I've had a conversation, which, you know, one of our fellow apexers, right. Chris is, will we ever truly become fearless? Right. Maybe probably not, you know, but we find ways to overcome that fear, right? By facing it, like, or making those decisions like you did, like that will never happen again. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I had to go someplace mentally. And, and the thing is, you know, do I still get, do I get concerned? Yeah, I get concerned. But if that's the worst thing that could potentially happen, like it could have been worse, but it wasn't. Right. There are many times when I should have died, but I didn't. And there are many close calls that I've had. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's in those moments where you make those commitments and then you're like, you know what, I'm committed to doing this and this is who I am and this is what I'm about. And, you know, when you talk about like, you know, answering questions and being there, the reason why I became who I am and why I'm still on that journey is because I wanted somebody to come and save me. I wanted somebody to come in and help me, Max. And I know like nobody showed up to whoop my father's ass like he deserved, Right. Nobody came to drag him out like he drugged people out. Not only was he a sexual predator, but he was a violent 
predator and, and a very masterful one too. Um, the thing I'll tell you is that like in our lives, we become the thing that we see that the world needs. And, you know, that one particular story, and I know you've shared about some of that stuff too, like people don't talk about that stuff enough because if they did, you could see the ones that are guilty of stuff like that start to rattle because they get nervous. They don't like to be caught. They don't want to be called down on that stuff. Right. But that's, you know, that's how we serve the world. We have to find ways to keep giving back and keep in, 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 you know, injecting love and compassion and strength. You know, sometimes we're called to be strong for people because we can be and accept nothing and need nothing. That's a very powerful place to be. And I say this prayer and it goes like this, dear Lord, help me know what it is I need to know when I need to know it and help me know what it is I need to do and when I need to do it. That's my prayer. Awesome. Yeah. I like to keep mine simple like that too. Sometimes I just ask God bless me with what I need and save me from what I want. Amen. You know, and um, yeah, it's like, that's why, you know, I'm so grateful where I am at because now I'm surrounded with people like Danny here. That's on my podcast. um, Because I made that decision that I was going to start hanging out with people that are in different places that are, you know, doing things and going places, but also are just genuine people like yourself, Danny. And that's why I posted a couple of things in my group not too long ago. The first one was, I don't know if you read it, but it was about getting my ass handed to me by six dudes, right? How, you know, I went down once, but I made a decision like you, I made that decision. I'm like, when I saw this boot coming down, like he was trying to break my neck and I caught it threw the guy down and I jumped up, hit him. And I remember that was it. Right. And I got my ass like, but I, I was like our motto, right. Don't stop. Don't quit. I go, my motto then was not to stop and not to quit, but not to get knocked back down. And, you know, I carry that into like what I do now, like I'm never going to let anybody knock me down like that again, ever. Right. And then I shared another story where you know, I was out partying, you know, I was in my active addiction. I was at mom's house. I went partying with my friends. It was my birthday. I was drunk. You know, my friend gave me a bag of meth and he's like, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm so drunk. This shit's not even going to affect me. Right. And I did the whole thing. And I get into detail in the post and all I remember is blacking out and then waking up on the floor of my room. Luckily I had locked the door with a needle in my arm. I had overdosed on meth. You know, and, you know, you, you would think most people would go, dude, I'm done. <laughs> that was not what's supposed to happen. I, not me. I called the guy who gave it to me. I'm like, dude, that was some good shit. Where you, <laughs> you know, that's the kind of addict I am. Right. And, but, you know, see, I'm connecting with guys like you that have similar stories and, and are comebacks or whatever you want to call them. And, you know, cause I never want to dwell in the past. Right and think about the stuff I did can't yeah. change it. I think about being present and who I can help. Like who can I help? That's right in front of me. Whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend in apex, whether it's a friend or brother, sister, my kids, like now my mission is to help as many as, you know, many people around the world overcome their challenges. And I get to do that because of guys like Danny who pushed me along the way. So, um, 
Great definition. See, like I said, everybody's got like different definitions, but at the end, they're the same. There's this thing that they did to overcome and they're like, nope, I'm going to face my fears. No, how matter, no matter how scary, I'm going to push forward. Right. And a lot of us have done that. And, um, you know, we're here to help people do the same. Um, and you know, my book, I, I, I replaced the I with why in happiness. Right. And I, yeah, I'm going to ask you why, like, why, why did you do that? Um, so there's a reason I did that. Right. So, um, happiness starts with you and I, right. Like, like Danny can't make me happy. He could shower. We say like we were living close together and he's showering me with money. That's not going to make me happy. Right. He can edit my podcast and say, here you do that. My whole point is that happiness starts within. That's why I put the white starts with you. Right. Like even my wife love her to death. You know, she's my best friend, my PIC, but ultimately she can't make me happy. Right. right. I have to it's find true. those things that make me happy as chief happiness officer over at break free Academy. Right. That's got to start with Danny. So I always like to ask my guests. So knowing I put that why in happiness, um, what does happiness mean to you and how does that show up for you every day? You know, I think it, uh, it ties back to, it's, it's waking up in the morning with a clear conscience. It's waking up and it's going to bed with a clear conscience too. It's knowing that you worked your face off. You did everything you could to help as many people as you could every single day in that day. Um, waking, I love being awake at all hours. I went to bed at four o'clock this morning <laughs> and I got maybe two, three hours of sleep and that was it. But you know, Max, I got to tell you, like I'm excited for every day. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what's happening. And I know that my number one mission, like if I'm going to be the chief happiness officer, I've got to be happy. I got tired of living in my own shit. I got tired of, you know, being drunk. I got tired of being, because nobody likes fat, drunk, and stupid. Like you, there's now no way to go through life. Right. Right. So, you know, as I started stepping away from my old self or my excuses or, or being sad, like I decided to get busy. I replaced drinking with working. I'm like, oh, you got time to drink? Well, guess what? You need to get a second job then because guess what? You're going to need money. We don't know why, but you're going to need money. So get to work. So I started spending time. I would spend time. There are times in my lives where I would, I would spend a good 17, 18 hours working in the studio out in the middle of a cornfield, just editing audio, practicing my craft. Because number one, it would keep me from drinking. And number two, it would keep me from getting into relationships with people I didn't need to be with. Because sex and alcohol are my two big issues. So, you know, for me, I wake up. I've got chickens in the backyard. I live close to my children. I talk to my oldest one on a regular basis. I'm a grandfather now. I get to talk. I get to talk and spend my time with entrepreneurs. I get to work with people that teach me things every single day. I'm privileged. I work in one of the largest networks on the planet and it's not work for me, it's actually fun, I enjoy it. I manifested this opportunity that I had. I've always been blessed with being lovable and employable. And that was my, those were my blessings from God. It didn't matter what I was doing, whether I was washing dishes or a line cook, or I was waiting tables or bartending or working in radio or running a mobile DJ company. And then working in the mortgage industry and recruiting loan officers, it didn't matter. Narrating audiobooks, it didn't matter what I was doing. I'd always find joy in doing what I was doing because I knew that 
that was going to be a better use of my time than drinking, focusing on the past, which is now dead and gone and perpetuating something that's no longer who I am. And, uh, that's what, that's what makes me happy. And I do it for my kids. I do it to help people. I want people, Max, to have the best lives possible. And I don't even know where it comes from. I don't. I don't. God put me in the family that he put me in for some reason. So he could show me a lot of things. So I guess I could understand the level and depth of pain of abandonment, of sexual abuse, of uh, betrayal, right? Right. Verbal abuse, physical abuse. God put me in that family for a reason. He made me the brother. That's right. To two sisters and two brothers. One of my brothers, we weren't supposed to tell him that he wasn't our brother. In a final act of defiance, when I was leaving my family at 19, I told my brother that he was not our blood. It was heartbreaking. And it was hard. Because I told him, I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Because here's the thing I know. I know the truth exists, and that's what I go in search of every day. It's part of my why. I know the truth exists. You just have to look for it. Yep. People are going to lie. They're going to hide. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to break your heart. It's just part of life. It's going to make you tougher. You'll be better for it if you keep moving and keep working. But I had to tell my brother the truth because I was done lying. I chose and decided I'm not going to lie anymore because this isn't my family. Right. I'm not going to stay here anymore. I'm born to do bigger things that have nothing to do with them. Now, granted, I'm still in contact with all of them, except for my father. But my why is for my legacy now. I have children. I now have a grandchild. You understand, too, being a grandfather. It's setting our lives up and our legacy, breaking the old cycles, telling the history, and then making a note of it that it's not to be repeated. Yes, sir. The things that my father was demonstrating happened to him, to his brothers, to his sisters, his father, and his father before him did that. So I told my brother, I said, we are going to make it our mission to create a legacy for our families in the future. Anybody connected to our family lineage will benefit from the work that we do today. And that's why I wake up every day. I'm happy because I know I'm going to need to be in a positive disposition. I can't be the chief happiness officer if I'm in a sour mood. I don't get to have a bad mood. So it's my job to work out, to eat healthy, to listen, to meditate, to be mindful, to help, even if I don't want to help sometimes. That's my job. God put me here to serve. I I couldn't agree more. Amen. Because that's how I feel the same thing, you know, same thing. He brought me back from the depths to, you know, why am I here? I had to ask myself like, okay, I think God said, you know, you're done playing around. It's time to get serious, you know? And, and that's what makes me happy. Ultimately what, you know, and you know, I've been clean and sober for quite a long time. Yeah. How how many years has it been max? It is 17. It'll be 18 this September. Um, you know, and the thing that most, the biggest thing that keeps me sober, right, is helping others and not expecting anything in return, Amen. right? Because when I was, a, you know, two days, my sponsor, my mentors would say, you can help the guy with one day. 
um, and uh, so on and so forth. And, you know, when all else fails, that's what I do is I reach out and help somebody else. That's all, you know, I don't have to be rich. I don't have to be poor. I just put my hand out and say, you need help here. This is what I did. And uh, that's why we connected. And like Danny said, you sh- I've seen him in action. The guy's got intense energy. <laughs> I seen him at his events and it was so cool because, you know, I was using that when I was going through 75 hard, I was using that tagline get to, right? Because I was taught that back in day one, when I, my last relapse, my sponsors, like you get to be sober today. Right. So I started using that again and telling myself like when things weren't going my way, I was like, but at least I get to be here. I get to walk up and down here. I get to do this thing called 75 hard. I got to go to meet some of my friends that I only knew from Facebook finally and give a hug. I got to give Danny a hug back in February. You know what I mean? And the coolest thing I was just sharing this uh, with some, another apex member. Um, the coolest thing that happened for me, not only being in at that event and being surrounded by all the people that we were surrounded by, but the people that would come up and high five me and hug me and go, you're the get to guy. You get to do that. I go, I'm here. Yep. I get to be here. And um, it was just awesome. You know, and when you're surrounded by the people like we are, which even though there's different levels, right. No one treated anybody any differently than if you were, you know what I mean? And that's the biggest takeaway that I got. Not only the stuff I learned, but like, from Ryan down to whoever, like we all treated each other like equals. And I've made some killer connections since that day, you know, and, and talk to people and, you know, I got Danny on my podcast, you know, the honor is all mine, my brother. Thank you for doing this. What a great episode, you know? And um, So we're going to end it like this. So, what is give the audience some some parting thoughts or some your final thoughts on okay. life, business, whatever? I will. Number one, we have a certain amount of time that we're here. You know the, the amount of time that you have. I think deep in your soul and in your mind, you already know how long you're going to be here. If you think you're going to be here for 130 years, you will be here for 130 years, provided you take care of yourself. You need to wake up and be grateful every day, even on the hard days, the days you want to rip somebody's hair out. You've got to be kind. You've got to be nice. You've got to be loving. You've got to say good things to good people. Don't be afraid to let them go, too, if you have to. Pray often. Pray for people and never tell them that you're praying for them. Just pray for them. Don't be afraid to reach out to people on a regular basis because they're waiting for someone to reach out to them. And believe me, when I tell you this, most people aren't going to reach out to you. So every time you think of someone, reach out to them and don't do it just because it's part of your job. There are no days off when you're loving human beings. Um, work your face off. Work your face off. If you're not happy where you are financially, get another job. Find multiple streams of income. The days of having one income or revenue stream, those days are over until you get to the place where you don't have to do the multiple jobs. You want to be able to make your money work for you. I think that's a journey a lot of people are on. So hustle. So you can invest. When you can invest, then you can choose what you want to do. So spend time engaged with your family. If you're sitting at dinner, put your phone away. You know, something I did with my kids over the summer was I made them leave their phones in the car when we wanted to go eat someplace out in public. And you know what, Max? It was like opening a flower. Like 
conversation started flowing. I do that consciously too. When I'm around people, I try not to look at my phone as long as I'm not busy working. Unfortunately, our lives are lived in our phones, but make sure you disconnect, go outside. You know, it's nice to run around. I call it naked because, you know, you leave your house inside, your phone inside the house while you're cutting the grass. You can actually enjoy nature, listen to the birds, you know, listen to the traffic going by or, you know, take walks on the beach. So the next thing is, I'll tell you this, make sure you connect with people like Max. Max, you're one of the most genuine, giving, loving, and friendly people. I've heard you in action. I've seen you in action. When you work with your clients, when you're back at the center, at the rehab center, I heard the way you were handling and transacting. And you know what, man? It's a gift. And I believe that your journey that you've been brought on, now you've got a podcast and, and a book, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where like God has put an assignment on your life and you have this positive, humble disposition to be able to be open so that you can share it with the world. So I know you're going to have much success moving forward too. And I'm grateful for you having me on here. And thanks for, for putting up with scheduling conflicts and stuff like that too. I know it's a pain in the butt, but um, make sure you connect with Max. So uh, I appreciate that, Danny. Yeah, man. So, hey, yeah. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, Danny, at, like say uh, to join Apex or whatever you do, how would they get a hold of you? How can they, they connect with you? Yeah, so they can find me on Instagram at Danny Galvez too, and just let me know that you heard me on on this podcast. Um, let me make sure I have to double check my Instagram because I'm I'm not gonna lie, like I'm yeah, it's Danny Galvez too, D A N N Y G A L V E Z, the number two. So you can connect with me there. Got a Break Free Academy shirt on. Um, you can always find me on Facebook too at Danny Galvez. And uh, I got long hair, so you can't miss. There's not too many of us with long hair on there. So got a beard and long hair. I look like a like a leprechaun. What it looks like when when you mix uh, um, Speedy Gonzalez and a leprechaun. That's what I look like. So, you know, make sure you connect with me. Got a red beard too, so you can't miss. But th those are the best ways to connect with me. Awesome, Danny. Again, it's a great episode. Thank you. Like, I don't even know what to say, but thank you so much. You're the man. Um, yeah, if you're listening, audience, this is the guy you want to connect with because he truly cares about his fellow human being. It doesn't matter where you come from. Um, he'll help you any way he can. So I really appreciate your time, Danny. Um, great, great episode. Thank yeah, you. Max, thank you. I just, yeah, you just kind of caught me off guard with the end of that a little bit. Um, but I learned that from guys like you, you know what I mean? I just going to be me. That's all I can be is me. And, you know, I think my purpose is to help, like you said, people around the world get better and, and do better and become better human beings. And, you know, because I have guys like you in my life that I can call friend, I know that's going to happen. So Amen. I appreciate your time and, you know, we will talk soon. Yeah. Amen, Max. God bless you and God bless your family. And uh, if you need anything, you know, you can always hit me up. Yeah, same to you. God bless you and God bless your family. Amen. Amen.